Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy, presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. So glad that you guys could be here for this latest episode that is presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Uh, this is now week three of uh, the NaNoWriMo month over here on the show. Um, NaNoWriMo, of course, meaning National Novel Writing Month, uh, which focuses on the challenge to draft up and I say, and I really stress the word draft, uh, 50,000 words for a novel in just 30 days. And it's a great challenge. I've done it before, as I've said before, only in June. And it's, um, it's been nothing but, uh, but a successful venture for so many different people. Um, but I actually want to take you guys back a little bit to, I want to say around, um, around 2014, 2015 or so. And that was when um, a a local author and a friend by the name of Debbie Mamber-Kupfer had a whole bunch of different promotional items on her table that she was ready to um, spread to the world. And it was not, you know, the great thing about Debbie is she is very, uh, she is very generous when it comes to letting the world know about other authors. And there was one in particular, one piece of swag, if you will, in particular, that really caught my eye. It was a bookmark that was signed in silver um, by the author. And the main thing that really kind of struck, that uh, kind of stood out for me was the cover art, which was absolutely amazing. It was uh, basically looked like a bullet hole had been blasted into the book itself covering the face of the main character on the cover. And I was immediately struck with that. I just knew that not only did this person, um, was this person someone to keep an eye on, but I definitely had to get my hands on the book in question, which was called Grave Beginnings. And it was the part one of, uh, part one of a series that is written by our guest tonight, and that is Mr. R.R. Verdi. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. How are you? Thank you. Uh, and thank you for being here. I'm, do, I'm doing terrific. And um, how is, uh, how's November playing out for you, whether or not you're doing NaNoWriMo? Oh, um, <clears throat> so unofficially, I'm not because I'm not signed up this year, but um, I'm holding myself accountable to it. I have a huge goal. I was going for 200,000 words. Um, 200,000, jeez. But I'm also writing multiple projects. Um, I have a picaresque going on right now, which is uh, something serialized for my Patreon. I'm finishing up a the, the second half of a novel that I started earlier this year that just got dropped because of life. And I'm writing a bunch of short stories right now for anthologies. So I'm hoping between all that I can hit 200,000 this month. Right now I'm at about 18,000. So I've got- Wow. But it's, <laughs> still, it's still pretty early in the month at, the, at this yeah. point. So um, when, when we're recording this, and um, this is our little uh, peak 
at the man behind the curtain. It is, uh, as we're recording this, it is November 8th. And so this, uh, this particular um, episode is going to be launched on Tuesday, November 13th. So um, that's just a little bit of a little bit of behind the scenes for you guys, but it's still pretty early in November. There's still plenty of time uh, for you to grab your um, to, for to make that goal or at least make a huge dent in it. So <laughs> right. Uh, so before we go before we go back in before we go back in time to tell your origin story, tell us about that cover art for Grave Beginnings because that was just mind-blowing when I saw it. I, I just knew that that book was going to go places. Oh, um, my, cover artist, uh, my cover artist, Sarah Anderson, and I um, were going back and forth about the book because originally I had different cover art. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I launched as an indie, and I just had passable cover art. Um, it was like close to self-made stuff, not professional. Mm -hmm. And the book was still doing really well subjectively. It had out-earned whatever its original costs were. Um, but then, yeah, Sarah Anderson contacted me as a fan first. They really loved the book. They weren't happy with the cover, and they were like, let's do something about that. So we got to talking, and we wanted to create the theme. And for everyone listening, the Grey Report is essentially like Quantum Leap meets Dresden Files. So the main character is a soul murdered by the paranormal. He doesn't know what did it. Every day he wakes up in someone else's body killed by the supernatural and has to use their minds, bodies, memories, and skills to solve their murders. Because of that, we thought it would be really cool to obscure his face each novel because his identity changes, technically. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got a little bit of a person of interest vibe. And for the, the, the effect on the first cover, um, it's technically not a bullet hole, but it looks like it. I can tell you after the scenes what it is, so no spoilers. But the effect is actually part of a clue to the mystery behind the murder or the supernatural creature that kills him in each novel or kills the body he's um, now occupying as part of his job. So That's for the so first cool. one, that, um, that rip effect, if you look really closely, on mm -hmm. the cover has smoke and it's cindered around the edges. So it's actually a burn mark. Really? So it looks like part of the cover was actually burned. Yeah, it, 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 we, we went really subtle with it. We might touch it up. But that's where it comes from. So every cover in the series, the way Vincent's face is hidden on the cover is mm -hmm. actually a clue to the supernatural lore creature and how they killed um, that particular body he's using. That is so awesome. That that is just that that is so cool. The way that uh, that you're able to work that in because it looked to me like it was just a regular, you know, like a bullet just kind of blasting through the book. Right. Um, but yeah, like that's that is that is awesome. So we definitely got to go go back to the beginning on this. What is it that um, since uh, one of the things that I always ask on this show is um, was there a particular moment or a particular story or something that made you just kind of sit up, take notice, point to it, and just say, "I want to do that." Yes and no. Um, so while Dresden Files is my favorite series and one of the biggest motivators that has kept me writing and my interest and my interest in that genre. Mm -hmm. um, a book, if anything, you could say it spurred me to write. I can't remember the name now, which is sad because the author has so many titles, but it was one of the Forgotten Realms books by R.A. Salvatore with oh. uh, Dritz, his favorite dark elf. And what happened was, I think this one was, I can't remember the title, but it was just when uh, everything had gone wrong and uh, some of the characters had died. Uh, Wolfgar, and I can never say her name, but Dritz's uh, love interest, uh, Caterbury. Mm -hmm. And a huge time skip had happened. But that really irritated me as a fan who'd been reading for so long. And I, I was 18, literally just finished high school. It was that summer. And I was like, you don't kill off important main characters who have been on there for so long. Like, that's not what authors do. You did this wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, yeah. Me saying that about Ari Salvatore, who's like, what, a 
22 time New York Times bestseller, maybe more. Um, yeah, but still, I will write a high fantasy book and I won't kill the all off the characters and they'll all be awesome and it'll be great. And I started writing literally that summer and it was the best piece of crap ever because I was really excited. I was happy to do it. Everything clicked in my life. Everything made sense when I started writing. Um, it felt natural. I knew that's what I wanted to do. The mm-hmm. book was complete garbage, but yeah, you don't I, that need was, that though. You know, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I, I had that. I had that in two thousand two when I um made the when I had like this particular script that I'd been working on and over and over and over again for years, and then finally in two thousand one I decided to write a novelization of that script. Finished it in two thousand two, and yeah, I mean, like I was thrilled with it then, but you know, like when I look back on it, when I got the rights back for it in two thousand eleven, I realized, hey, I didn't like this anymore, and took years just basically rewriting it from top to bottom and it became something else entirely. So I definitely get what you mean. You know, like you, you need to have almost like that. Um, it's almost like, it's almost like your, your own little lesson plan. Just like, okay, I did all of this. Now I don't do this in the next one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what? um, so you said, so, um, so you got that, um, as you say, like piece of crap, you know, like out of your system. What was that, um, what got you to give it another shot? Was it just like, just the thrill of actually um, getting that done? Um, I didn't even finish that book. I got halfway through it and realized this is crap. I have no clue what I'm doing. Um, It's a bit aimless, but this is the weirdest part. Uh, Every writer has different parts that they love of writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Most love all, obviously, almost the whole thing, but they have different aspects for me. I loved also stringing together the sentences. I don't know why still to this day, but I genuinely love just seeing the words go down and making something happen. Yeah. So I immediately was like, okay, I'll start again. And I tried reworking that story, but then I realized there was something wrong with the story. And then I was talking to my best friend and as a genre, urban fantasy has always been my favorite. Mm-hmm. So he said like, why don't you try writing something a little bit away from epic fantasy and try something you're a bit more in tune with. And we started talking back and forth and came up with like a YA urban fantasy. And that was the first thing I finished. Oh. And that sense of accomplishment really kept me going. And mm-hmm. that's what eventually led to great beginnings. Um, no, nothing related story-wise, but finishing uh, an urban fantasy story, my first novel, going like, okay, I can now do this. I put something together. That story was also crap, but I understood even more finishing that book. Yeah. So what, um, when um, you said that, you know, that, first, that uh, first one that you just stopped yourself, you know, like halfway through, have you ever thought, you know, like years later about maybe going back and revisiting that seeing like, Oh yeah. My, my best friend doesn't let me live that down. Um, yeah. He, he's kind of like made it like this weird oath that one day I'm going to write that series. Cause the problem with it is though, is it's not even just the technique. It's the, the premise is really campy. It was like really bad pirates of the Caribbean meets forgotten realms. And like it, the characters were idealized versions of me and my best friend. Cause we were 18. So what do you do? You put yourself in the fantasy story you want. Of and like, it's, it's a rescue the princess story, of course. Cause like, I don't know, I think we were watching star Wars in the background. So we decided we needed one of those. Yeah, and of course, like transformers had just come out. So the princess of course was a really bad analog of Megan Fox because that makes sense for an 18 year old guy to write about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It> <laughs> <was> just, <laughs> he's made the thing where like, I have to publish it now just because of how like bad and corny the story is. He's like, just get it out there. So and one day, about, like, yes. just, you know, almost like kind of spinning it as almost like, uh, you know, see, like I did this on purpose, kind of like uh, how Tommy Wiseau took the room and, you know, kind of spun it around to just say like, uh, yeah, I meant for it to be this bad. Well, at least I know that it was bad now. And if I republish it, the idea of going back is like, 
I'm going to try to clean up a really bad story and say, like, this was a bad idea, but I'm going to do my best to execute it and just oh, see what nice. happens. And I'll be, and be honest with it. Like, I, I can't with this is 18. I'm not expecting it to be good. Right. But I like the idea of finishing when I start. Um, that's been a huge thing with me. And uh, that's, only, that's one of the biggest things keeping me going because I've had a lot of books where I fell out of love with them or I started fearing or hating them. And that comes in for other reasons, but I finished some of the projects do way better than I could ever hope for. So, Awesome. Yeah. So um, before we, before we uh, jump over to Grave Beginnings and Vincent, um, just a big, um, definitely got to uh, throw out a big shout out to Jim Butcher for not only giving us the Dresden files, but also being a, um, for, uh, for, um, for me, an author in Missouri. Um, so that's, that's always, uh, always something to celebrate. So um, hi, Jim, hope you're listening. And uh, <laughs> so now comes the point, you know, like I, I'm, I'm really psyched for this because I'm, you know, like I'm still kind of like getting to know Vincent myself. So what was it that, um, what was that moment where you met Vincent? Oh, so originally, this is the weird part. Um, the Urban Fantasy series that ended up the Great Report, um, this was two series that sort of combined in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an Urban Fantasy series in mind that was nothing like the Great Report. I had sort of the world that would become the Great Report, but the plot and the characters were different. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I've always been a thr- thriller and mystery fan. I had the idea of a CIA thriller with a character who was buried in the grave starting out. And um, I just thought it'd be funny if I could play with the idea of, you know, his last name being Graves and he's buried in the grave. It was a joke. Yeah. But I didn't know how to make that work for urban fantasy because I forgot what happened. But at the time, I was like, I really can't juggle two. I should pick one. And I don't know how invested I am in the CIA thriller at this point. It was, it's a fun idea, but like urban fantasy is really screaming at me. And my best friend was like, just find a way to combine them. Right. And, talking back and forth with him we came up with the idea of like do you remember that really old show um quantum leap and i was like yeah and we start bouncing back what if we did this in a paranormal way where maybe he's not like a mind but we have to come up with something and i was like what about a spirit or soul like bouncing back and forth through different bodies Mm -hmm. because part of the take of this was i like the aspects of cia thrillers where they show cool things like the escape process or if you've ever seen burn notice how he has the inner monologue of how things work like how to you know, make a one-shot gun or how to turn a microwave into a booby trap. Right. And all that started pooling together. I'm like, well, what if we have a character who bounces through people's bodies, he keeps bits of their memories and skills, and he's sort of like a paranormal MacGyver, and he can just recall all these different skill sets and information, which is what lets him compete with the paranormal since he can't do magic. Yeah. He's like this encyclopedia of like all these cool skills that he's picked up from humans, and he's just how he creatively uses them to fight back or um, – recall obscure bits of mythology coupled with really cool survival skills and it, it just evolved from there that's so cool that is so cool and um i gotta i gotta say like um you, you, there are very few really just you know like amazing grabber kind of openings um fewer than you know than the one in great beginnings because i you know that was that just got me i was just like oh man especially when, you know like um the fact that uh, that this wasn't the first time this had happened to him like that was just that was just like all right i gotta know more about this you know like, i gotta know more about this guy <laughs> right so um so when that when you finish that what's your pro- what's your process for um for your you know if you have an editor on hand do you have beta readers what's your how do you take it from getting that first draft all the way to a completed book 
Well, at the moment, I don't have beta readers. I, I want them. It's just <laughs> right yeah. now, it's really hard to find them, which is interesting. Um, I might just put a new callback out. But originally, what I do is I, I used to let them sit a month. I still like that process. But as you've seen, the indie world's becoming extremely, I want to say mechanized, where people are just pumping out books left and right, and they're skipping. Um, sometimes it feels like a lot of the production phases. They I are, yeah. Let, yeah. I used to let the book sit for a month. Because mm -hmm. a lot of what I learned about, I guess, developing as a writer, not necessarily writing habits, but growing as one, was from books like Stephen King's stuff. So let it sit for a month. And I'd go back to it myself first. And just whatever caught my eye, like plot holes, I would go through for once, um, tighten all those up, any weird issues. i do my own first line editing. Like, oh, I use the same, same repetitive word. I could change this up where I can just nix this line. And mm -hmm. I start tightening stuff up, combining, removing redundancies. And, of course, obviously, any typos or copy any mistakes in my way. Then it goes to an actual developmental editor. Um, this is something that's hit or miss in the indie world. Some people don't have the time for it and developmental editing actually costs the most. Um, but this is story structure. So um, this is someone who will go in and they will just absolutely tear your story apart mechanically for is other character motivations right? Is this right? Um, this doesn't feel natural for the character to be doing. This doesn't feel right for this scene to be happening. This scene's redundant. Um, this part of the story feels weak, just cut it. Or this is a great line, but it's out of place here because you're ruining this beautiful character moment or this emotional scene. Move this somewhere else. After mm -hmm. that comes back and I um, apply all that, it'll usually go to betas um, early. I like doing them before the story is finally polished because I just want to get some opinions before it gets too far into the, the editing cycle where I might need to really start changing stuff. Right. Then it'll go out to copy editing, which I apply all that, and then it'll go out to proofers, and then I'll because I'm really anal, I'll just go through it once before, um, and then it goes out finally. That's and all awesome. the while, covers um, being made alongside that. My cover artist actually gets a lot of times the roughest version of it because they don't need the deep, um, the fine-tuned stuff. They just need an idea of the plot because I, I don't know if this is the proper way to make covers in the indie, indie world because you've seen there's two schools of thought with that. Some are very, it's just whatever the hot trend is, that's what you put on your cover because it's salesy. I've right. been going for whatever really fits my book and for yeah. that i try to get really nice details for a cool obscure reference or something that if a reader picks it up they'll make that connection with it i don't know if that's the right way to be doing it but it's just what i've been doing i get what you mean like i i kind of did something similar with uh molly phipps ma or ma phipps as you know she calls herself um who is kind of a genius when it comes to when it comes to cover art because uh, she is the one responsible for the cover art for both Excelsior and Ever Upward. And when I told her about, um, when I told her about Ever Upward, um, she had already, you know, like nailed the template, you know, the, um, the, um, when I told her that I wanted that notebook, um, notebook page with uh, the big hole in the middle and that's where, you know, all the action is, uh, she nailed that, and it, when I saw the finished version of Excelsior, I cried. Like she actually like completely nailed it, and there was very little that I that I said similar to what uh, to what you were doing, and with um, with Ever Upward, I just simply said, um, you know, a main a main uh, part of the story is a sword fight on top of Rockefeller Center, and so she wove that in, and then you know made that kind of like the centerpiece, and again you know, tears because I'm very emotional when it comes to this sort of stuff. And, right. you know, so yeah, like, um, so M.A. Phipps, you know, kudos to you. Kudos to uh, your cover designer. What was her name again? It was Sarah. 
Sarah Anderson. Sarah Anderson, yes. And um, yeah, kudos to cover artists that go this extra mile um, that they that they do because they are there is as big a part of our book success as anyone because they're the first things that they see. Um, you know, it's it's literally like come for this, stay for this. So you're coming for the cover, but you're staying for the content. Exactly. But uh, you don't get people to look in that direction if they don't have that sort of cover that demands you to look in that direction. And I, you know, I, I definitely say we're both fortunate to have designers like that. Um, so once all that, that whole process is done, then, you know, you have the, you have this, you have the cover art and everything, even with, um, even with the, um, the original cover art that you said was just kind of okay. Um, oh, it was horrible. So what, what, um, what was that, uh, what was that moment like when you, um, now did you, so did you self-publish Great Beginnings or was this? Um, oh yeah, it was always self-published. Um, I was originally self-published when I first learned of Amazon self-publishing, like, which was 20, I want to say 2010, 2011. Yeah. I learned about it in 2012. Okay. Um, because the book I had before that was actually done, um, I had a, a even worse cover for that one. And I thought I would do this. I thought I'd go through it. And I don't know what happened. It just, I couldn't pull the trigger on that first book and I ended up writing Great Beginnings. And I came back at the end of 2013 and I was like, okay, this time I'm going to do it. And then I just, I hit the self-publish button. Uh, I hit pop. The book was technically uploaded. Well, I started the, the upload process on like the 19th or something, the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. But I didn't actually hit publish until the 25th on Christmas because it was a corny little gift for me. It was like the idea is like, this is my Christmas present. I've never had a Christmas. I finished a book. This will be my thing. And I did. And then like the next day, some sales started coming in and I was really excited. And then I got reviewed. Um, and this was when BookBub was still really starting out. Believe it or not, the book BookBub actually had a small feature for Grave Beginnings way back in 2013. Really? Well, yeah, cool. uh, that, somebody told me that's when I first learned what BookBub sort of was, but I didn't understand how important they were, believe it or not. I yeah. thought they were just like this weird fringe little blog because someone who followed them was like, hey, your book's on BookBub. Is this you? And I was like, yeah, what the hell's BookBub? <laughs> and so then I had they, like so, 90 so sales. They, so they, you know, like they just went ahead and reviewed it without consulting you at all? They didn't review it. It was just up on like... Um, like on um, if you just went to their page it was like a featured little thing up there because i launched the book in 99 cents and right. i didn't know at that time they were having like they were keeping an eye out for new indie books that were just dirt cheap oh i got you okay this was like this was yeah this was literally 2013 christmas and i saw a little snippet it wasn't like the, the full blast that they do now to like really pimp out authors it was a very much like hey there's this book out called great beginnings it is 99 cents here's linked amazon but people wow. saw it i mean like over over the week i had almost like 90 sales Granted, they were 99 cents because I didn't think I could sell this. I didn't think it was a good book. Um, right. I didn't know what I was doing. So, like, I made, like, 30 bucks. But, hey. That's <laughs> 30 bucks yeah. more than what you had, you know, than what you had before. And uh, right. and that's that's terrific, you know, like, th- to get that kind of that kind of attention without even knowing it. You know, that's yeah. that's something that, uh, that rarely happens, you know, with um, – uh, especially today, you know, with, with the um, with the author community, because like everyone is, everyone is scrambling for you know things like that, you know, trying to grab that book bub and everything and 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 run with it. Um, right. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens in December third. You know, when Excelsior goes up there, but um, I mean, that's to be able to get that without 
making the run for it. Like that's, that's, you know, just almost like practically dropping a brass ring right in your lap. Like that's, that's really cool. Yeah. It, it was absolutely just shocking. I mean, now more in retrospect, because I understand what book pub is at that time. I'll, I'll be honest. I was just like, yeah, whatever. Just, I don't right. know. I'm really happy. I just put a book out, please someone review it. And then I got a couple five-star reviews and then I got some bad ones too, which I deserved at the time. Cause, um, when I first started, the book wasn't properly edited. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought mm. I'll self-publish this and I will use this to cut my teeth. I didn't know what would happen with the series. I didn't know it would pick up steam. Yeah. Um, although that was always my personal goal, but yeah, life's weird. It is. It really is. And so, um, so as, as things were going on, like it was, when was it then uh, when Sarah, you know, kind of, you know, uh, threw her hat in the race and basically said like, let me, you know, let me help you with this. Uh, it was definitely 2014 after the book had been out. Um, I want to say six to eight months around then mm-hmm. because it gotten its facelift before it started picking up steam in 2015, which is when the book really started building a small name for itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to say it was like mid to late 2014. She'd read it. Um, we became friends through a geek group, which is where I think they first found um, that was an author and I had this book out and they, they loved it. They thought the story was really cool. And they were like, Hey, I'm into photography. I'm into digital art. Um, do you mind if I throw a book cover together for you? And I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? So I went <laughs> out and I bought the stock art images. So I'd have the rights to them and, uh, gave them the two backgrounds and they came up with it first. Like they came up with a mock-up already and they're like, Hey, I need these stock images. I was like, yeah, let's do this. Bought it. And then they just knocked it out of the park. As nice. soon as I got the facelift, it started picking up traffic in like the NaNoWriMo groups. Um, people were interested in checking it out. Um, I kept having the editing updated over time because I still didn't know what I was doing with editing. I didn't have developmental. I didn't have line, copy, proofing. That, that first book was a nightmare in production because I just didn't know what I was doing. Since then, every other book has done better. But That's, yeah, wow. it got me my first professional uh uh, blog review my first mm-hmm. professional like uh editorial like reader reviews it's it's insane how far it's come yeah yeah it, re- it really is and so um when uh was it was it also like right around that time when you just when you came up with the idea of doing the the uh the swag you know like like the bookmarks and everything and signing them like that because that was just you know having having that out there was has been just a definite winner regarding a promotional tool so um do you just come up you know just come up with that and just say like um you know like let me just send these out to as many people as i can because obviously you can't um send the um send like the file or something with your signature on there so right i I, like i didn't know exactly what i was going to do i wanted to get the material out there and um I'm ADHD, so I, I have a lot of things going on ahead of time. So I juggle a lot of books at the same time that I read. Right. So something I thought that would be good would be, it's like, what if I had multiple bookmarks? And I was like, what if I turn my cover into a bookmark? I'm assuming book readers and book nerds would want to reuse that item. That's the biggest oh, yeah. thing. It's not just a poster on their wall. It's not just like a postcard that gets trashed. Um, this will go in their book. And hopefully every time they look at whatever they're reading, they will think of like my book and my material and stuff. And I was just really hoping that's what would happen with that. And yeah, it, it was just the idea. Like, I hope people care. I hope they want to share this. I hope that they keep it in something else that they treasure. That was the idea. Like yeah. If you're your favorite book and you don't have a bookmark, I hope you use mine. I try to personalize it by signing it. And I hope you just, you know, you think about my book one day while you're reading yours. And it, it worked. At first, just fans wanted them. But 
I got such a great deal from a local printer that it was like, I ended up with 2,500 of them. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, wow. And I was like, all right, I'll just mail people like 20 and I'll ask like, hey, can you guys spread these for me? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's definitely done that. You know, like it's, you know, it's doing... Yeah. It's doing great around here. I can definitely say that. Um, so, um, so it was like around this time you you thought like uh, that you really had something going with this character. Was this somebody that you, um, when it comes to Vincent, did you already know like you know what you had in mind for him in future books, or was this just something that you originally yes. felt was just going to be like a one off? No, um, I always knew that the. Um that the, the series was going to go on for a long time because um, I, I just a huge mythology nut. And because I knew what Dresden was doing, um, where it was going, how long it aimed to be, I sort of modeled that in my head because I thought this is what a successful urban fantasy series looks like. I'm a huge mythology nerd. I want him to do multiple cases, exploring cool new mythos you don't see a lot. Right. And then I already sort of knew his backstory. I knew where he'd come from. Uh, I knew where I was going to take his evolution, but I didn't know the fine details of per book what was going to happen like that's part of the fun for me as a pantser i pick a mythos that works with where i want to take the story but i have a lot of options with what creatures to use what myths how to respin them so when it first came out and i started seeing that people were liking it i was like this is encouraging i get to go play more in this sandbox which is what i wanted right I, i've been slowly running with it um i haven't been writing and publishing as fast as i would like because it's just life I, i'm trying i'm juggling a lot yeah Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Now, I know you have the other, uh, the other book, Dangerous Ways, correct? Yeah. So when did, when did that one kind of come into it? Were you already kind of like starting up the next Grave Report book or you know, did you feel like you needed to kind of divert away from that? Do they even take place like in the same universe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What happened was um, I had introduced something in the second grade report book. It, it was finished in the roughest draft, but I'd created a paranormal world of worlds. It's like a multi-reality where pretty much everything from mythos exists in that as long as something exists and has sustained some semblance of belief in it, it gets mm-hmm. its own pseudo um, paranormal realm of its own. It gets its own little world, but it's encompassed in this greater world of where the supernatural and beliefs and mythos all exist and because of vincent's life being a soul and a body and since you've read the novels you know he only has so long he can stay in each body right um, his soul can stay a certain amount of hours in each body and that's how long he has to solve the case he lives on such a fast-paced th- thriller like clock i realized i can never show off this this paranormal 
fairy fantasy side world ever with him because he's always got to bounce back to the real world to finish his case. Right. So what can I do to expand that? And I started thinking about it and thinking, I was like, I created the analog tomb, which is Jonathan Hawthorne from Dangerous Ways, who's part of an organization called the Timeless, who are normally just people who through some reason have impressed, um, which I can't go into all revealing, but have impressed somebody else in the Timeless now, which is the easiest way to do it. Right. And they're offered the ability to become ageless. Like you no longer age, you're still mortal, you can die, but you will not grow older and die that way. Mm -hmm. And you kind of become like an archivist and shepherd of paranormal and mortal knowledge. So I figured if Vincent has such limited time, I'll create the guy who has all the time in the world and I'll create a series around him and some problem that allows people to see what's going on in the paranormal side of things, like all the stories happening there. And Dangerous Ways actually started as a Camp Nano project as soon as I finished um, Great Measures and it just, it took off. That's so cool. As, that is, that's a, such, a, such a great way to do it, especially considering, um, especially considering that, uh, you know, the, um, the grave reports, they're all first person, right? So it's just like, it's, it's, very, it's by design, it's very confining because you're only right. limited to that particular point of view. Um, is, is Dangerous Ways also first person or is that more uh, like a third person kind of no, That one's also first person because part of the challenge I wanted was um, I'd gotten talking to my friend and he talked about how you don't see many authors do expanded universes at the time. And I, I was one of the, I don't want to say the first indies. I was one of the earlier ones. Uh, I think the first was probably like SM Rain or something. But um, nobody really did too many first person things traditionally. Um, right. At least in the same universe, because the fear is you start sounding the same, especially within the same genre, same universe, um, characters start to blend. So I took that as a challenge. Like, can I create somebody who's so different as a character from the way he speaks, the way he interacts, his sense of humor, down to his core, that I get better as another first-person storyteller, and I can bounce and tell different tones. Nice. And that's exactly what happened out of that. My storytelling improved. I created a completely different character, which people have loved. And I mean, some people love it as my favorite work. It's got fans who prefer it over the great report which it, it, it only has one book out because of how really yeah um it's like a six to eight book series i'm going to be starting the second one soon oh good God, so i so good that means that i have time to go ahead and get dangerous way so i can read it and you know oh, get yeah. myself get myself into that um yeah, like 600 pages so it was it was a beefy book wow 600 pages man like that's i mean i wow yeah <laughs> I'm I'm kind of speechless with that. So yeah, that's good. That's going to be you know quite quite the quite the hill. But at the same time, it sounds like a hill that it's going to be a blast to to be on. So um, so you said that that came out after the second book, right? Right. That came out the same year, but this one came out oh, December 2016. I know it's December. I just don't know if it's earlier mid month. But yeah, it's going to be coming up on two years. I haven't released the sequel because I didn't um, life. I, I wrote the third grade report book right after that. Mm -hmm. And I tried some business experiments to market in other genres and just just get a feeling of where the the, the industry is going because it's an indie. It, it's it's weird. It's you know it's just like there's so many currents going on. You're trying to figure out what the hell's happening next. And right. I just wanted to do around this year, so I, I launched the third grade report book last year. I launched a pulp hack and slash anime style fantasy book this year, which was like the best performing book I've ever done. Wow. But it was completely weird and. I don't know. The, the reception has been very odd for me. It, it hit some bestseller status stuff. It put me in the top 60 out of 100 dark fantasy authors in the world on launch. Wow. But its reviews have been very muddled. I, hmm. I don't know what
what happened there. I think it's because it's such a weird story, even within the genre that it was in, because uh, I wasn't yeah. trying to hit tropes. I was trying to write it my way. And it's a, it's a very hit or miss book, but financially it was extremely successful. So, fantastic. You know, I mean, that's that's one of those things where you just gotta you just kind of have to nod and smile and just say like, all right, if it's gonna sell that much, then terrific. You know, at the same right. time though, are you do you think that um, that there's a that there's a sequel in mind for that one, or oh, yeah, just because of like books I'm working on right now, there's a sequel to that one. Mm-hmm. I finished a grave report side story novel. Um, which is technically the fourth novel I've written in the series, but it's shorter. It's only 60,000 words, but it's a okay. um, book 2.5. It's a fun gotcha. Easter egg book I'm going to be releasing just for fans. Um, like downloadable from my website and it'll be, mm-hmm. if you haven't read book three yet, but you've read book two, you can read this in before and get some cool spoilers and Easter eggs. Or if you read book three and you're really impressed with a character I have introduced there, but you want to know more about them, Mm-hmm. Book two point five is actually the origins of that character and when Vincent first meets him. So it's a really cool treat if you read it actually out of order. So both oh, ways nice. you get a reward. One way you go in knowing who he is and you get to see kind of this weird, cool paranormal buddy cop movie from Vincent. I right. wrote Die Hard <laughs> meets Monster Murder Mystery. Oh, very or cool. You can read it in reverse, and then it's a, it's a lot scarier of a story because you understand who he's dealing with and you've seen him in the future book and how dangerous this person can be. Oh man got one hell of a universe going on here man this is a this is awesome and i'm not i'm obviously not the only one who is impressed because there's now um a line right above the title if um if i'm not mis- or uh right above your name if i'm not mistaken that says dragon award nominated author um right. now tell us about that now, how did that uh, what what happened there um so i launched the second book uh, March, April, 2016, and the first, uh, the inaugural Dragon Awards that happened. Um, mm-hmm. They were putting a call out. I didn't even know they existed. Some of my fans, I guess, who keep an eye on that sort of thing, did. Now and, this is now this is for Dragon Con, correct? Yes, this is Dragon Con, which is one of the oldest running conventions out there. Um, they they never had their own award. I think they hosted a few other awards for other literary stuff, but they never had their own name brand award. And they decided to start one. So obviously it's a really cool thing for convention that old and prestigious. And the first year I made the cut for best fantasy paranormal alongside like Larry Correa, um, who's a New York times bestselling author and nominee of like a dozen awards. Mm-hmm. And Jemison who recently just picked up her third Hugo, I think for like her third book in this, in a trilogy. So she's like, I don't know if that's like legendary status, but <laughs> winning a Hugo for each book in your series is like unprecedented in my mind. Yeah. And then my hero, Jim Butcher, uh, who had his um, his steampunk fantasy, Cinder Spires, nominated. So that was insane. And then Dangerous Ways launched later that same year after the, the first awards were announced, which I obviously lost because Jim Butcher and Larry Korea. But um, it launched right during the, the opening window for the next set, mm-hmm. for um, the next set of awards. And then Dangerous Ways picked up the nomination the second year in a row for me. That's... Um, so both oh, the universe have oh, been nominated. I didn't get it this year, but... I also have backed away a lot from that because I'm trying to focus on my personal production because like I mentioned, my life is like kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, man, that's so, yeah. So this, this is, this is just, you know, like, this is just amazing. So, um, you know, like, uh, you know, there's so many, so many people that are, that are out there that are just like, you know, they want to, they want to get on your path, you know, like to success and everything. But it sounds like, this was definitely not an easy path. I mean, like there was, you know, there, there were, 
starts and stops along the way and everything. There was the abandoned manuscript and there was the, you know, the different cover art. And then all of a sudden, you know, like everything just started to kind of, did you feel like everything was kind of like taking on a life of its own? Just kind of like, it was almost like Vincent was pulling you in, in a specific direction. Um, career wise. Yes. Not necessarily, I guess one character or um, one IP uh, when I write, certainly because I'm a pantser. Um, right. But career-wise, no, because my career really hasn't been steady. Like, good things keep happening. I want to make that clear. Yeah. But uh, my personal life has been really hectic. Um, mm. It's still very stressful. I haven't broken out to the point where, like, you know, I'm a household name or I'm earning tons of money and I'm really stable. I still have this instability. But it's slowly starting to change in weird ways in that a lot of opportunities are opening up. I'm seeing how viable this can become as a career. And, like, each little opportunity keeps leading to so many more that like it's almost like I could see stability from where I'm at. Yeah. Um, the series have picked up some famous fans. Uh, the, the series now has an editorial blurb from uh, Mr. Larry Correa. So who, who he is a two-time Dragon Award winner, uh, Hugo nominee, New York Times bestselling author of the Urban Fantasy series, Monster Hunter International. And he gave me a quote to feature on, uh, on the series and it debuts on the third book, which is what launched right before, uh, after he gave me that quote. Wow. And uh I know right now I have some like number one traditional bestseller fans out there who like my stuff and like my work and it's opened up some um, transmedia expansion opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some stuff I can't talk about happening with the Graver Report in particularly, but uh, it's gotten the opportunity to leave just novels into other formats now. Oh, and, Yeah. I'm just seeing really cool career opportunity stuff pop up. Uh, I'm getting to go to more conventions now and network. Uh, like this year, I did Dragon Con. Next year, um, I'm not sure if I can talk about them because I haven't gotten the final confirmation, but they're working on that. I should be working three of the biggest shows, hopefully, signing, selling, and doing panels um, wow. in the country. So uh, um, now they have uh, the particular conventions. They've invited you to, you know, they've reached out to you and just said, like, you know, can you, you know, be a part of, be a part of our show? They haven't officially done that part yet. What happened is... Um, I'm working with the liaison who is a, who works literary stuff at these shows, who mm -hmm. does book bending. They do book signing. They, they host traditional big bestsellers. Gotcha. Um, and they are bringing me on through them to make sure I get on panels, to make sure I get guest status, um, to make sure my books are there being signed and sold. So they're, they're a vendor with like a lot of clout who make all this stuff happen. Okay. All right. So, um, and they're so on Bard Tower is um, their name. I want to make sure, but I want to end with that so people remember it. Say that name one more time. Bard's Tower. Awesome. Okay. So, um, so you, in addition to all the other things that you have going on, uh, you also mentioned before that you have a Patreon page. Um, what's, uh, what's that all about? So a lot of people were just, they wanted to support me. They want to make sure I have extra cash flow coming in uh, money for projects or whatever. And I'm always writing and I like the idea of sort of serializing and sharing my snippets. It just mm -hmm. makes me happy. Um, and they said, Patreon might be the best way to go. So I, I'm still not an expert at it. I, I know there are people out there who have the most fine tuned immaculate tiers of what your rewards are and how different they are. I haven't mastered that yet. Mine's still kind of in some ways clunky to people, I guess, but it's set up well enough that I get to deliver what I want. So I'm right now writing chapters um, normally and then I'll share whatever chapter I have done or whatever short story I want to share up there. And I'm sharing completed works or alphas in progress so people can see my process of books before everyone else. And it's, it's trucking along. Like I'm happy. It's not where ideally I would want it to be, 
Right. But I also didn't put the time and money into marketing it. It's cost me nothing. I, I, it's just, it's just earning extra cash flow on the side that's paying for stuff like covers or editing. It also seems like what, what um, another thing that it's doing is kind of providing the extra motivation to get stuff done because exactly. you have people that are investing in you already. And so it's almost like they're your boss right. and they want to, you know, you want to make sure that they're, that you're providing content for them that would be worth the investment that they're making. Right. And that's really helped me because um, that's what one of my newest projects, which is I realized um, that there was something missing this year because that business project I wrote, it took a lot out of me emotionally. Um, it was, it was a really hard project for me to write. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something for my soul. So I started writing something with the idea of this is just for me. Don't care how much money it makes. This is what my Patreon followers are going to get. They're going to get the biggest, like, passion, soul project, the most creative I can make it, the coolest, my best literary technique. I'm going to break all the boxes, you know, do something weird that people haven't seen before. And mm -hmm. I've been writing and getting ready to serialize it. And the snippets I've shown people have absolutely blown them away. Um, a couple of my heroes that I've shown it to have absolutely loved it and they've been staggered by it. Um, I showed a couple indies who have their own award and uh, credentials and nominations and they loved it. I shared it with a, uh, an audiobook studio and the, the creator and um, operator of it loved it so much. He paused all his work on his books and recorded an eight minute sample just for fun. So I think I'm honestly there and this is going to become now what's new and serialized on my Patreon. It's, um, it's being serialized in the way that you would almost see like an anime or a giant TV show. So it's just going to, it's going to go on nonstop uh even those chapter by chapter like a novel the mm -hmm. overall plot idea is like a 10 season tv show wow so hopefully this will keep going for a long time and making people happy oh man that sounds like so much fun so where um is there a uh, there's a link where they, where they can find you on that right it's it's at uh patreon.com slash rrverdi yeah uh and i don't think there's any spaces if i remember correctly i can just open up my patreon mm -hmm. but uh let's see yeah, it's just Patreon slash um, R-R-V-I-R-D-I. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody, make sure you go ahead and, um, and sign up for that. Um, and yeah, def definitely do that. So uh, what do you see yourself doing in the future? Like what, um, I know that there are some projects that you, you know, are kind of keeping close to the best right now, but what is it that you can tell our listeners? Oh, uh, um. Well, hopefully pretty soon, like I said, that great report novel, because I'm really happy with that. Um, it was a side project, and I tried to actually, this was weird, but I tried to write it the way I did when I was a, a new writer. Not in story technique, I'm hoping that's obviously a lot better, right. but literary-wise, and some of the lines I used, and some of my sentence lengths and stuff, went back to when I was a newer writer, because I want this to almost become like an, it was written that anybody who comes into this novel could read it as a complete standalone, have nothing spoiled, get some Easter eggs, but then they can go pick up my other works. So... That's actually going to be free on my website, hopefully coming in the beginning of next year, mm -hmm. maybe a month or two in. But yeah, uh, book 2.5 of the Gray Report series is a complete standalone novel. It's just that's it happens time period wise between books two and three. Right. As a, as a book, you can pick it up at any point in the series and read it and you will not be lost. Um, you won't have anything spoiled. You'll just have cool things pop up. That's coming soon for free. Mm -hmm. um, anybody. And then I have a space Western coming from a publisher um, that will hopefully be it might be earliest is December, but I can't guarantee that, but definitely early next year. And that one's kind of like if, you know, you had Firefly meets Guardians of the Galaxy or oh, uh, Firefly maybe meets Rogue One would be a really good pitch also. Yeah. Wow. This, you know, you, you got so much on your plate now. So with that in mind, is there anything that you want to kind of give as like any sort of 
uh, nugget of knowledge that you can give to uh, people that are that aren't quite up to your level yet, but at the same time are making that attempt? Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to give the, the best piece of advice I got, which is not the advice anyone really wants to hear, though, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it, it's uh, like, just keep plugging away, be persistent, not just at writing your individual novels, but in the career. Because the, I don't really know if there's a correct path. I've seen a million people make it a million different ways. And there are definitely things you can learn, like you can learn. And the thing is, you can learn those things. So they're not secrets. You can learn marketing and there's different kinds. And I've seen people take certain ad courses that make them successful and stuff. But the biggest thing is you just have to keep going in the first place because your first ad run might not be successful. Your first book might not be successful. Um, I'm still not a big bestseller, but I've had huge breaks because of other things I chose to keep doing in this industry and going forward. And mm-hmm. for me, a lot of it came through networking and the people I've met and they, them giving me opportunities and helping me. And some people I know have never had any of those, but they found something else and it absolutely worked for them. It's the whole Edison thing. Like there's so many different ways to try this. You just have to find which ways is going to work for you. And nobody knows that you won't even know it going into it. So you just, you just have to keep plugging. I mean, hopefully if you're lucky and I hope you are, you, you make it right out of the gate. That would yeah. be awesome. There have been Indies who've done that. Um, some of us still are working to make it. Some found something and I'm still looking for that special thing for me. I've just had a lot of cool, weird breaks that I can't make sense of, but it's because I kept going. Right. And um, is there any anything in particular that you would like to uh, that you would like to plug? Where can our listeners find you? Oh, right now, um, I'm temporarily exclusive with Amazon and the Kindle Unlimited program. So if you just Google RR Verde, that will show up. Um, Amazon should be the first link. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming by name and Google SEO traffic and however that works. Um, so yeah, Amazon's the best place. Um, I might be pulling a lot of my stuff wide, hopefully next year, depending on how the markets go. I'm watching that very curiously because Barnes and Noble, um, as you might know, is like discussing bankruptcy, but they sold their their digital Nook side off to somebody else. So somebody else is running Nook anyway. Yeah. So that's not going anyway. So that platform's not leaving. But I don't know. I, I'm seeing a lot of interesting stuff happen from other things like Apple is promising things. Uh, Kobo is promising a lot of things. Draft to Digital is promising things. So I just, I think I might go next year and try to be a, a wide distributed author, which was how I started. Yeah. And Smashwords too, you know, like Smashwords is, uh, you know, they just got their, uh, their deal with Findaway Voices. Yeah. So, you know, they're starting to, you know, really kind of really uh, make some noise in, in the field as well. Yeah. But I will be honest as someone who used Smashwords, I was never impressed with, with unfortunately their site layout and the mm-hmm. way they, they don't seem to have an avenue to really help authors market themselves. Cause I remember when I first published on them, I was really excited and I was like, Oh, my book's on the main page. But two seconds later, there was like four erotica titles over me. <laughs> and I was like, I kind of wish there was more curation cause I was pointing people there. And the last thing I didn't want, you know, I don't want people to go like, Hey, go look for my book. It's like 19 erotica titles by the time burying my book. And then they have to scroll through that, which a lot of the readers that pointed actually didn't want to, um, which is not like, you know, that's nothing against that genre. It's just, they went in expecting to see an urban fantasy and they had yeah. to control through a lot of stuff that they shouldn't have had to, cause there's no genre cue separation. Right. Yeah. Understandable. Understandable. Um, so, and um, for social media, like where can they find you as well? Oh, I'm everywhere. Um, so Facebook, um, you just put an RR Verde, no spaces, no dots, nothing. Um, it should bring up my author page. Twitter is just at RR Verde. Uh, Instagram should be the exact same thing. Uh, my website is rrverde.com. Um, and I respond to every email I get. So uh, my email is just rrverde at rrverde.com. Yeah, I know. It's really creative, but 
<laughs> hey, it's 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 what people will, will remember. You know, that's uh, you know that's uh, that's that's a major thing, and I can definitely say um, that uh, the people will definitely remember remember you, remember your writing, and will be ready for more. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. And um, just want to, you know, let, uh, let all, of you, all of you know that um, you just have to do, the main thing that you have to do is like, like what, um, what Araverti said, you know, keep plugging away. You are going to find your way into this. It may not be the way that, you know, that others have gone before you, but at the same time, it will be your way that will eventually get you to where you want to be. Um, in this in this industry, in whatever industry that you are that you're you're working in right now, um, it's um, you know Araverti is a true is whether whether he uh, likes to admit it or not you know like he is a true inspiration when it comes to when it comes to the self publishing uh, business and he's somebody that you definitely want to keep an keep an eye out for and he's definitely somebody who you want to just kind of point to and say. Yes, I want to do. I want to do that. I want to. I want to write. I want to let my character go ahead and take me on this on this wonderful ride. And so, um, I wish all of you nothing but the best as we continue on through NaNoWriMo, uh, through National Novel Writing Month. And um, I hope that you guys have found your character that's going to take you on your journey as well. Um, so for R.R. Verdi, this is George Soroy saying to you, Ever Upward. We'll see you next week. Bye.